Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Get over to Leon Tailoring for that young person who graduated. Congratulations, by the way. And make sure they've got the clothes for that big job interview. Hey, the economy may be good, but you still got to dress for success. And Leon Tailoring, they can help your young person do that with a professional wardrobe and attire that they need. And so all those years of college and getting a degree do not go to waste. So Leon Tailoring, the perfect place to get your young professional off to that start in the world of work. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Well, as Indiana lawmakers prepare to overturn or at least deal with parts of the Roe v. Wade discussion, uh, there are some issues here in Indiana that some folks think need to be addressed, uh, could be sort of making making life more harmful uh, for women. So join us on the news line is Dr. Tracy Wilkinson. She's with a assistant professor of pediatrics at the IU School of Medicine. Uh, So, Dr. Wilkinson, thank you very much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Now, this research was done uh, by Indiana University and Ibis Reproductive Health with input from a number of other organizations. Uh, First of all, I guess the question is, who actually gets an abortion here in Indiana? Let's start there. Yeah. So, you know, despite Indiana being the state with the like second most abortion restrictions in our country, we really did not have data that explained who these patients were. So that was really the impetus behind this study. Um, So we had little understanding as to what that meant for people's actual experiences when you had all of these restrictive abortion laws on the books. Um, After the study, we were given so much information about who seeks care in Indiana and the many barriers that they overcome to obtain health care and the devastating impact that these barriers are having on their lives and that of their families. So with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the legal protection, federal protection for abortion access, we're deeply concerned for what this is going to mean for Hoosiers moving forward. Uh, so out of that study, uh, what were some of the what was some of the demographic data? How many what were their ages? Were they were they single parents? Were they regular parents? Uh, help us out with some of the demographics. Yeah, I would be happy to. So on average, our study participants were 26 years old. Um, 65 percent of the people seeking an abortion were mothers or parents. Um, and half of them identified as Christian or Catholic. So I think when I look at this data, a lot of these sound like my friends, my neighbors, my patients, my colleagues. And so I think that this data is important to kind of, you know, dispel some of the misperceptions that happen when people think about those that access abortion care. Uh, did any, uh, did those uh, folks say why they were seeking an abortion or was it because, you know, health reasons, life reasons, you know, family planning reasons, or was it just, uh, just the, just the age and uh, their religious and, and race that you guys, you folks figured out? You know, I think that's a great question, but I think if you had a hundred abortion patients, you would have a hundred different reasons for why they're seeking an abortion. No two patients are alike. And I think it's really important that we respect patients to make those decisions um, for themselves because they know what's best for themselves and for their families. Uh, how easy, difficult is it to access an abortion here in Indiana under the current, under the current structure, current laws? It's not easy at all. You know, our study showed that already a third of patients had to leave our state to access health care. If I told my patients in clinic that they needed to get to Chicago tomorrow, they would look at me like I had lost my mind. That is so impossible to even operationalize and completely not feasible for them, given all the structural barriers that are around them every day just to put food on their table. And we found that 90% of the people in our survey were having to choose between paying their rent, their utilities, 
their child care bills and having to pay for this health care. We live in a state where abortion is not covered by health insurance. Um, we live in a state where there are multiple appointments required for an abortion. So you're not asking for one day off of work. You're asking for multiple days off of work. We live in a state where you are not allowed, despite years of evidence to access a medication abortion via telehealth, even after the pandemic, where we realized that telehealth is a completely, you know, feasible way to deliver medicine, uh, medical care, that is outlawed in our state. Um, And so there are many restrictions here that are not grounded in science. And that is because we should not have legislators making um, decisions about medical care. That's not their their job, and it should not be. Our guest on the program today is Dr. Tracy Wilkinson. She's with the IU School of Med- IU School of Medicine. She's an assistant professor of pediatrics and also uh, participated uh, over oversee a study on abortions here in Indiana. As Indian lawmakers, in the next couple of weeks get ready to come back and deal with the issue of reproductive health and reproductive rights. Uh, what about uh, you? You talked about the the, the the costs involved with with getting in on abortion services. Uh, Help us out here. What are some of those systemic barriers that you that you mentioned that, that may make it impossible for some women to go exercise their reproductive choice rights? Yeah, I mean, you know, for one thing, um, an average abortion can cost like close to five hundred dollars. That's a lot of money for a vast majority of people in the state. That's a lot of money for me. And I would consider myself, you know, a high income professional in our state. If you asked me to find $500, that would be hard um, in a short amount of time. And so cost is one thing. Transportation is another. If you live in a, in a part of our state where there is no public transportation or you do not have a reliable form of transportation or a car to drive hundreds of miles, that's another thing. Child care coverage, as I mentioned, so many people that are accessing abortion already have ch- already have children. And if you need to leave the state, you're talking about getting child care coverage for potentially days in a row. Um, not to mention the fact that we live in a country and a state that does not give paid time off of work for health care reasons. So you're losing income for having to go to multiple appointments in our state or potentially in another state. Um, And so all of those barriers just layer on top of one another. Um, And so it is devastating to think what will happen when an abortion ban comes to our state. We unfortunately have very high rates of infant and maternal mortality already in Indiana. And we anticipate that those numbers are going to get much worse as we start restricting health care and banning access to comprehensive reproductive health, which includes abortion. I was going to ask you about that. How is is Indiana doing right now when it comes to infant mortality uh, to prenatal health care? I mean, not great. I I would say embarrassing Uh, for a state that our lawmakers continuously say that they care about infants and children. I would beg to differ that the data is 100 percent behind them um, or against them. Excuse me. We we have high rates of infant mortality. We have high rates of maternal mortality in our state. 33 counties, that is a third of the counties in our state, do not have access to OB or labor and delivery care. That means when you're pregnant, you might live in a county, you have a third of chance to live in the county that does not have access to 
prenatal care, delivery care. And so it's not surprising that these outcomes are poor in our states. But I'm not seeing state legislators talking about making any of this better. I have not seen anybody talking about banning abortion, also talking about making sure that everybody has coverage for health care. Everybody has coverage to put food on the table for health care coverage for for child care coverage to make sure that they have schools to send their children to. We have an $8 billion surplus in our state budget, and I'm not hearing anybody talking about supporting the families in our state that already need that support and are not receiving it. Our guest on the program today, Dr. Tracy Wilkinson, she's with the IU School of Medicine, participated in a survey on abortion uh, here in the state of Indiana. Uh, Dr. Wilson, what, Dr. Wilkinson, what do your colleagues uh, who provide abortion care in Indiana say about these current restrictions and possibly new restrictions coming up? I mean, I think it's devastating to think about going to jail for being a doctor to your patients and providing them the care that they need. But we are going to be entering a phase where we might have a patient that's diagnosed with cancer and is pregnant. And we will have to say that we have the ability to provide this care, but it will be illegal for us to do so. And you're not dying yet. So you're going to have to go to another state to access this care. Um, And so I do think that we are entering a very scary phase where there will be criminalization of healthcare providers. There will be criminalization of patients accessing healthcare. And that is very scary. And a concern I have is, you know, that pipeline. We have medical students, residents, people deciding to seek employment in our state. And if they are scared that they can go to jail, by practicing medicine, they won't come here. And so already our healthcare access deserts when it comes to primary care, when it comes to maternity care, are going to get worse. Uh, what about some of the unintended consequences? I know Indian lawmakers right now are still trying to figure out sort of where the where where where, where sort of all parts can meet in sort of that Venn diagram. What about things like in vitro uh, fertilization, where you make more than one egg. What what happens with the leftover eggs in a, in a, in a post Roe v. Wade world? And what also what happens with with medication? Uh, not necessarily medicine that's used to induce abortion, but it also know that some of those same medicines actually do other things. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that's what is concerning about legislation that's drafted by people without a medical background. Um, You know, legislation and statutes are supposed to be written to be very black and white, very, you know, yes or no, you either did or you didn't do that. And that is not the way medicine works. No two patients are alike. Um, The interpretation of those laws can get very tricky when you start talking about fertility treatments like IVF. When you start talking about potentially birth control, um, you know, we are nervous that this is not the end of restrictions and that the next layer will be attacking those subsequent, you know, issues within healthcare that are also touched by these same concepts. Uh, what about the in vitro fertilization? Because I know that's uh, that's been a big deal. Because if, correct me if I'm wrong. I said you're you're the doctor. I'm just a lawyer. I just play a doctor on television from time to time. And I, I just spent like one time in a Holiday Inn. But that's about the the most of my medical knowledge. Uh, what about in vitro fertilization? What happens uh, to the to the eggs that you can't necessarily use? I mean, I think that comes down to how the state house decides to define. Um, all of this moving forward. Um, But if you define, um, you know, a life 
as being at the moment of fertilization, then an embryo that was created for a fertility treatment would be considered a life. And that means that you know, couples that have created these embryos to get pregnant and have a, a family that they envision would be restricted on what they can and cannot do with those embryos. Uh, also, too, and this is going to sound like a really weird uh, situation. I don't know if you've heard about this. I want to say it was a situation down in Texas where it was a, a pregnant woman was driving. She was driving in the, in the carpool lane, and she was pulled over and got a ticket. She said, hey, Texas considers a fetus a, a living, a living you know, life begins at conception. It considers a fetus a person. So I, wasn't, I, was, I had a passenger. The passenger was just you know, inside of me. Uh, can you see situations like that popping up? For example, you can't drink until you're 21. Well, now I can drink when I'm 20 since my birthday is now the date I was conceived. Yeah, I mean, that's why this gets super complicated. And I think the like trickle down impacts on healthcare, the law, I, I don't think that the police departments are excited to be getting reports about all of these things um, or trying to decide whether something legal or illegal happened. Um, this is what happens when you try to legislate medicine. These decisions belong between patients and their healthcare providers, not the state house. And when the state house is get involved, it gets incredibly complicated because you cannot write a law that applies to every single person or situation. There's always going to be a unique element that's brought to the table. And the more you write laws, the more complicated they get. Dr. Tracy Wilkinson, uh, IU School of Medicine, uh, professor, assistant professor of pediatrics with us for a few more minutes on the program. As we talk about abortion, what, what sort of a po-roast world will look like possibly here in Indiana. Also, she was part of a, a survey study on, on abortions as well. Uh, Dr. Wilkinson, I can hear some folks right now uh, listen to his voice. they like, you know what? Uh, this doctor, she may be a, she may be a doctor, and that's fine. But the doctor, the doctor's job was to protect life and you know and do no harm. And uh, with the, with the abortion issue, it's, it's taking a life even even if you don't think it is. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I always tell people that I went to medical school and I have some scientific training. And what I can tell you, what we can tell you from the medical field is when pregnancy begins. When life begins is a personal decision. Every major religion in this world has a different definition and interpretation of that. And then, you know, people within religions have different interpretations of that. And so I encourage everybody and I respect everybody to have their own interpretation of that. Um, but ultimately, you can't impose your interpretation onto other people. And as a physician, I trust my patients to make the best decision for themselves and for their families. And I do not believe that we should be taking options off the table that are medically safe, that are completely, completely um, proven to be safer than continuing a pregnancy. Um, and that should not be where we are. And so as a physician, I think that we are in a devastating place where we are taking medical options off the table for the patients that deserve to have them and that your geography and your zip code is going to suddenly in addition depend on the health care that you're able to get that should not be the country we live in now, dr Wilson, let me ask you uh, are you guys are you saying that there should be no rules no restrictions on abortion uh procedures or they should be reasonable help help us out here yeah that's a great question i think that when you start trying to legislate medicine and putting, you know, gestational ages or this or that, it gets incredibly complicated. People have abortions for many different 
reasons. And if a woman is found to have a pregnancy, a very intended pregnancy, and is diagnosed with a fetal anomaly that is lethal, that means that the child might not survive for many more hours after they are, they are born, I don't think that you should be creating gestational limits to her decision as to what to do for her for her fetus and for her family and for her life. Um, we have women that have complicated health conditions that get worse with pregnancy. We have women that are diagnosed with cancer during their pregnancy that are already mothers and have to decide between receiving chemotherapy and still being alive to take care of their living children versus continuing a pregnancy. And so when you start to legislate boundaries and limits, it gets incredibly complicated because I guarantee you there will be a patient that you did not plan for. Uh, let me ask this before I let you go here. This is going to be a non-medical question, uh, but do you think there's some, uh, perhaps maybe some misogyny in all this? I mean, yes. I think that this comes down to, you know, this idea that women should not be able to make decisions about their body. And that is concerning. Have you heard anybody discussing making vasectomies free for everybody? Not I haven't. Last time I checked, the answer was no. My wife, maybe, but that's about it. So, Right. And so, you know, like this is a conversation that we all need to be having, but it seems to only be focused on women and pregnancy-capable individuals. And when I hear the other side talk about restricting access to birth control, when I hear the other side talk about criminalizing physicians and patients, they all seem to be like targeting one group of people. And that to me is like a clear sign of misogyny and one we should not find acceptable. So, Dr. Wilkinson, what would you like to see Indiana lawmakers do, if anything, when they come back on the 25th? I would like to see Indiana lawmakers listen to their constituents. When you survey Hoosiers, it's split 50-50 when it comes to you know, abortion restrictions, which I think talks and speaks to the diversity of opinions in our own state. No two Hoosiers are alike, and that's okay. But again, you know, for years, the Indiana State House has been legislating medicine and specifically only this part of medicine. We are not legislating colonoscopies. We are not legislating vasectomies. We are not legislating any other piece of medicine. And so what I would like for them to see and to do is to listen to their constituents and to listen to the patients, listen to the people in our state that are already struggling and form legislation to help those people not make it worse. All right. Well, our guest on the program today has been Dr. Tracy Wilkinson. She is a assistant professor of pediatrics at the IU School of Medicine, talking about a uh, recent survey uh, of Hoosier attitudes as to why folk, why women get abortions and the whole nine yards. So, Dr. Wilkinson, thank you very much for being with us. We do appreciate you, as always. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.